Welcome to another edition of the Super Floyd Podcast, your George Kondo of NBA podcasts. Because like George Kondo's paintings, this podcast is also artificial realism. I don't know, you figure it out. What's up everybody, it's your host Joe Borelli coming at you from my studio in Brooklyn, New York. It is Thursday, July 26th, 2018, and it is a wonderful evening. Um, not much basketball to talk about, sort of. There's always basketball to talk about, and we're going to get into it, but... Um, you know, life happening, vacations happening, people going on vacation, uh, me hanging out at work till middle of August when I finally get to go on vacation. Just a heads up, I'm not going to be recording for two weeks in August. Um, you know, all that stuff. But ways to get in touch with the show, uh, you can tweet at me at Joe Borelli. You can tweet at the Superflight Podcast at Super Superflight Pod on Twitter. You can email the show at the Superflight Podcast at gmail.com. That is the Superflight Podcast at gmail.com. You can go to Facebook. You can go to SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Podcast Attic. I love iHeartRadio, um, all kinds of stuff. Everything. Uh, Almighty Baller Network, where this show and a bunch of other great ones are located. And, um,. I think that's it, but there's just so many ways to listen to podcasts now. There's so many podcasts. There's just, like, everything. Like, you guys say, hey, Alexa, I'm going to say that, and she's going to turn on, and you're going to hear Alexa in the background. Um, play a podcast, and it'll pull it up from anywhere on the Internet. So wherever you find your podcast. Also, if you're going to listen to the podcast on iTunes, please rate and review. Leave me some funny or mean or insightful comments, and uh, give me five stars. Always, always the five stars. And I, uh, I appreciate it. Maybe I'll read them on, on the show. Uh, if you care. If you don't, then don't. Ah, uh, what else? I feel like, you know, I, I'm always giving you guys stories. And I feel like I, I, I keep meaning to write things down that I see or things that happen. But I'm very forgetful. I forget everything. Which means I also forget to make notes about what's happening around me. Um, when I was, there was this one thing that happened that just struck me while I'm, I, I, Get on the plane. Actually, I didn't even get on the plane. So, um, where was I at this point? I was about to go to Vegas. So, getting ready. This is over, you know, 4th of July weekend. It was like the 6th. I went to Vegas Summer League. Had a great time. But on the trip out there, like, I'm, I take the train from my house. And I, I get out to JFK. And I'm sitting there. And I'm waiting for the plane to board. And I took JetBlue. I'm giving them free publicity here. I don't know why. But JetBlue was fine. It was, it was a very nice trip. Cheap. Yeah, I recommend it. Um, so I'm sitting there in, like this, in the waiting area, right? As you do for a plane. And I'm just sitting there with a bunch of other people. I'm just trying to mind my own business like I do because I'm very shy. I don't really like talking to people. I'm not an introvert. But I am shy. So sitting there, uh, just minding my own business, not, you know, doing whatever I do. Some guy, and like when, you, when you're when you trying to just wait for something, when you're waiting in anticipation of, of your flight that's gonna, gonna be, you know, like about to happen, like 
you're you're waiting for work or like you get up in the morning you're getting ready to go to work or you're like waiting for a doctor's appointment or you're waiting to go see your therapist or something like you just don't want to interact with people right you or like you're waiting for to take your driver's license test or or you're waiting for a movie you just like you just if you're in preparation at least i am this is how i am like i don't want to be bothered i have my mind set on something i'm focused i'm thinking about okay I mean, this is probably telling about the kind of weirdo I am, but I'm like, okay, this is about to happen. I just want to be mentally prepared for this. I'm getting in this state and I'm getting ready to board this plane and we're going to fly to Vegas. And like, you know, the anticipation of, of being there and, and experiencing this new thing is like, it's it's a lot of fun and it's also like a little bit of anxiety inducing, but that, you know, not, not major. It's just like, I'm anxious to get there. I'm anxious to begin my journey and I'm anxious to just sit here and play solitaire on my phone while I'm listening to like music or something. So I don't have to talk to anybody or just, I just want to just be my own zone, right? Sitting there, there's a bunch of people. Some people obviously don't feel that way. They don't mind interrupting other people. They don't mind being looked at by other people. They don't mind being noisy or, or just not outspoken, but, uh, they don't, they're sort of oblivious to the attention that's, you know, being directed directly at them by whatever they're doing. And one of these people was sitting not very far from me, hanging out and trying to talk to somebody on his cell phone. He's having a Skype or, or FaceTime conversation on his cell phone, which is all right, fine, do what you got to do. But like, do you have to do it so loud? He had his turn. Here's the thing. Like, I wouldn't even have cared. It's fine. It's it's whatever. Do what you got to do. It wasn't really upsetting. The thing that struck me about it was he was on the phone and the phone was turned up so freaking loud, A, or B, he had such a poor connection that it literally sounded like he was talking to a robot on the other end. Like, I have no idea how he understood what the other person was saying because it was just... It was really, really, really bizarre. It was a really strange sound coming out of the phone. I couldn't understand. I mean, they weren't speaking English, but also I couldn't understand how he could understand the person. Like none of it was clear enough. None of it made any sense. It just sounded like, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, it just struck me because I'm sitting there thinking like, oh my God, this is like a science fiction device that they would have thought of like when back in the 60s or or 50s or 40s like it was really like like a robot from like lost in space the original series from the 60s and like danger well robinson that kind of thing like it was bizarre i just it for a moment because i was so in this space in this zone hearing this guy talk on this phone like this just put me in this really weird dreamlike state where I, I for a second I was like oh my god am I stuck in a 1960s science fiction movie what is going on here it was just the most bizarre thing it like really shook me out of my my haze or whatever I was at my concentration prior to getting on this plane this is a nothing story I'm just trying to illustrate to you guys that you like you can make anything the smallest, stupidest, minute little thing seem interesting if you really try. This is what I'm doing now. But really, the, the the sound on this phone was just, it was bizarre. It was baffling. I couldn't understand how they were having a conversation. It was, and, and 
clearly, clearly, so, so audibly, so freaking loud that every, not everyone, but like lots of people were like just staring at the guy. He's completely oblivious to everyone looking at him. Like, this should also tell you about me that like, I'm very insecure. There's no way I would ever do that in in a in an airport, but unless it was an emergency and like I had to call somebody. There's no way I would want that kind of attention directed at me. I just want to fade into the background. I just want to be left alone. This guy had no problem with with talking and and making this ruckus in the middle of the waiting area. It was just bizarre. And like in a way I'm kind of glad he did it because because of that science fiction voice that was coming out of the phone that just kind of like i don't know it it was really interesting to me there's no point to this story there's it goes nowhere i'm almost done with it i'm wrapping up but it was i'm almost kind of happy that it happened because it was just one of those things that you don't get to experience all the time i'm sitting in an airport there's planes flying by uh we're, we're now in like a modern age we're like back in the 40s when you know, I also listen to a lot of radio programs on podcasts. I don't know if you guys ever listen to old time radio, but they have, um, and I've talked about this before. There's this one called The Horror, and they do all these like CBS radio plays from the 40s and the 50s. And just, I think it put me in that sort of space thinking about like, wow, I'm listening to a real life science fiction horror movie thing happening in an airport like present day. I don't know. It's I'm, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this. But anyway, that was my pre-flight experience to Summer League. I hope that ties into everything just fantastically. Probably doesn't, and it's a horrible story. But that's all I got for you guys this week because, well, I just couldn't think of anything else. Anyway, coming up shortly, I have got the one and only Ben Golliver from Sports Illustrated and Open Floor Podcast who is going to talk to me about all the crazy trades that have, not, I mean, not even crazy, just the the trades that, I guess some of them are really crazy, right? Just the trades that are happening around the league and about Kevin Love signing his contract and about uh, Kawhi Leonard going to uh, Toronto, all these, all these interesting things that we get to look forward to during the summertime. We're going to talk about them. They've been hashed over to death, but I really want to get Ben Golliver's opinion on this stuff, and you're going to get it too if you listen to the podcast. So hang out, enjoy relax, think about robots in the past, in the future, which is what I was doing. And after this brief musical interlude, we'll be right back. Ben Golliver, welcome to the Super Flight Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's good. It's good. Now that I have you on the podcast, it's way better. That's, well, I hope I can live up to that. Uh, are we going to be in an argumentative <laughs> mood today, or are we going to be agreeable, or, or how is this going to go down? Uh, I agree with everyone, so you know, I think I think it'll be fine. Um, I'm very agreeable, unless unless you work with me at my job, then you know, not so much. But we're we're talking about basketball, so we should be fine. Perfect. Well, I'll get the uh, the night version of you when you're in a good mood, so I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, that we'll just say that. I mean, you get me without a few drinks in me, so I'm not going to be that happy. But anyway, Ben, thank you for coming on. Um, I'm a huge fan, obviously, you know, me and everyone else in basketball, Twitter and around the NBA. Um, you are a wonderful writer for Sports Illustrated and co-host of the Open Floor podcast with Andrew Sharp. Um, I listen to you guys all the time, so I thought I'd reach out and say hi. Well, it's my pleasure. Always love to spread the gospel of the open floor globe, and uh, hopefully we can have a good chat here. 
Yeah, totally. You know, I, like I listen to you guys all the time, so I obviously know that you're uh, a very creative person. Like you crack me up on the podcast and I really wanted to do something creative because I'm an artist and I like to be creative, but I didn't have time. So I just copped out and we're going to talk about the trades that are happening around the league. I hope you don't mind. Oh no, it's, it's that time of year. And, you know, frankly, I, I just, I'm stepping out just like an hour or two ago from the, you know, USA basketball mini camp here in Las Vegas. And, you know, like the ripple effects of a lot of the trades and the signings were like in every direction, like, you know, there's uh, Kyrie Irving sitting on one bench. And, you know, of course, his decision last summer is motivated because maybe he thinks LeBron's going to leave Cleveland. And there's Kevin Love, who just gets the new uh, you know big-time contract from the Cavaliers after LeBron leaves. And there's Paul George, who kind of left the Lakers and LeBron hanging. And he looks pretty, you know, happy and buddy-buddy with Russell Westbrook. And there's Kevin Durant, who everybody's kind of hoping will maybe leave the Warriors and... Uh, maybe even go to like the New York Knicks and you know he's over there fending off criticism about his little beef with CJ McCollum so the storylines especially the off-season storylines and sort of like uh, you know all the rotisserie stuff that people love to talk about were in full force that's awesome so you literally just came from the the Vegas practice yeah I think they finished up around 2 or 2 30 and at six o'clock my time so I had enough time to kind of pull together some of Paul George's quotes and uh, you know, scarf down some dinner and then talk with you. So it's uh, it's been a good day. Well, I'm honored. So, <laughs> but the, you know, you're back in Vegas again. Weren't you just there for summer league? I was. I got a nice five day break. I think I hit five national parks in five days. It's right up there with sort of like a personal efficiency record. I'll be honest. It's kind of like the drive-by shooting version of the Wild West. <laughs> uh, but I got some waterfalls in. I got a volcano in. I got. Um, you know, a, a face-to-face encounter with a black bear in the wilderness. In it was uh, very rejuvenating, and this camp, this mini camp, is is pretty quick. You know, it's only two days, and then after that, I can say goodbye to Vegas for at least eleven months. So that uh, will certainly be a fond farewell uh, when it comes tomorrow. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so that was actually you standing there when Kevin Durant was just being interviewed, and and he was talking about being sensitive. Was that your phone that took that shot? Uh, yeah, I think there was, you know, a few different cameras in there. I was, okay. you know, not far away when he was sort of being grilled about the whole C.J. McCollum thing. It was really kind of an, an eerie situation because C.J. McCollum, for some reason, had me on his podcast the episode prior to Kevin Durant going on his podcast. So you've talked about a steep upgrade going from me to uh, KD. Uh, I but, think it's the other uh, way around, my friend. <laughs> it was a it was a very small world like kind of like a pod uh, circle here as you know they're saying who's mad I'm upset you're upset no he was upset and you know Katie I wouldn't say he came off as defensive as maybe he has been in the past but I do think he finds himself in a situation right now where he's having trouble uh, convincing people of his opinions and he really has no way to do it like. You know, it, it's sort of, you know, that old cliche, like if you tell someone you're not crazy long enough, you're going to be, you know, <laughs> looking crazy. Like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Oh, no, sure you're not. We know we know you're not. And I think he finds himself in that spiral a little bit. And uh, I think the criticism of him is just relentless. It, it's unabated. It doesn't matter that he's won two titles. It doesn't really matter that he's won the finals MVP. I think people are still sort of clinging to that original sin of his decision to join the Warriors in 2016, and they're not letting him forget about it. And the CJ comments, you know, they're not 
that crazy. I mean, lots of people, including Andrew Sharp and, you know, my buddy Matt Moore and other people have sort of, you know, laid out similar grievances against Kevin Durant for sort of, you know, ruining the NBA, quote unquote, or, you know, kind of stacking the team. But to have your fellow player do it, I think that hits uh, to, you know, a different spot for Kevin Durant, right? To have a fellow competitor sort of, you know, question your motivations and why you left and why you abandoned the Thunder, I think on some level, that's got to kind of trigger him a little bit. I think that's why he's being so forceful and kind of coming out and, you know, kind of going at CJ on Twitter and, and you know, making a, a big fuss about it, uh, you know, today at, at minicamp as well. So, you know, we'll see how this shakes out. I mean, ultimately, most Twitter beefs are much ado about nothing. Uh, but I do think that the persistence with which, you know, Kevin Durant has just lost a large segment of the basketball viewing public is going to hang over his future contract decisions. And let's remember, he's going to be a free agent again next summer, possibly again this summer after that. I mean, he's sort of on this year-by-year plan in Golden State. And I think at some point, if the story never changes, if he continues to be the bad guy, I can see him you know, kind of deciding, look, I need to you know, flip this script. I need to change this story a little bit. I need to go somewhere else. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm totally with you, but... Don't you think like, I mean, like, I understand Kevin Durant is getting a lot of heat. He's lost a lot of people. And like, I love Kevin Durant as a basketball player. I can't tell you how sick I am of hearing him talk and tweet. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of it is obviously self-inflicted. It's self-inflicted wounds all over the place. I get exactly what you're saying about how if you keep telling people you're not crazy, they're going to think you're crazy. I do it every day. It happens to me all the time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But like, you know. It's 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 self-inflicted wounds. Like you, if if he would just like, and I think part of the problem is is that he's he's so willing to put his side out there. And I understand. Listen, I I'm not in the camp that thinks that Kevin Durant ruined the league. It's it's it could not be farther from the truth. It doesn't ultimately in the in the grand scheme of the NBA really matter that much. Great teams will arise. This may be the best collection of talent we've ever seen but isn't that in itself kind of amazing that we get to see this i can't think of another storyline like i i i'm not one of those people that hate the warriors i sort of don't care most of the season because they're so good there's not that much to watch for but the idea that this story exists what he did to the league by joining that team and creating this narrative just by being there i think is in itself kind of amazing. I don't fault the guy for wanting to win championships. None of that stuff. Like it's it's really still kind of important in the scope of the league. But at the same time, you have to understand that people are going to be like upset with you because their team has no chance of winning. And then to come out and just continually try it. He's so triggered on on the internet and he's been found out having burner accounts and then arguing with 15-year-olds and like Listen, I get it. I'm a sensitive guy, too. I see myself as Kevin Durant in a lot of situations and thinking, like, I should just shut up. Um, this is what Kevin Durant should, should, should just do. I haven't listened to that podcast yet. It's on my list. I have so many to get through. Um, but the Twitter beef is just, I honestly think that they're just goofing around for the most part, right? It hasn't really escalated to them being angry at this point, has it? I mean, you know, they were trying to kind of laugh it off and say it was buddy-buddy, but I think if you're Kevin Durant and you go onto a guy's podcast, you give him the chance to kind of, like, confront you with whatever his criticisms are. He sort of does it, but not really. And then a few days later, he's on Twitter, basically, you know, people are asking him, you know, know, do you think he's the the B word? And he's like, Mm -hmm. well, no, I wouldn't say that, but 
uh, you know, his decision was soft. I mean, you're going to take that personally, and you're going to feel like Katie called CJ a snake for that. I would feel the same way, personally. Like, if you're giving someone – like, Kevin Durant's time is money, okay? Like, if he sits down with CJ McCollum for an hour, you at least expect it to be – if there's going to be a confrontation, it should be during, not after. And I think that's probably why he was a little bit miffed about how that went down. And um, so I don't necessarily fault him for being upset. Of course, the way he expressed it, you know, wasn't great. And, you know, it opens up this very familiar – bag of uh, worms that you know he's been dealing with here for the last couple of years uh, you know see uh kevin's major statement today was essentially that he's tired of holding stuff in and he wants to be vocal again and he just wants to kind of get back out there and i think he has sat out a lot of the criticism and just taken it and if i was his sort of pr manager at this point right now so much damage has been done over the last two years that i don't think he really has much to lose And so when he says he wants to be more honest, rather than just saying things like, hey, I went to Golden State because I wanted to play with these guys and I was kind of, you know, envious of their culture and their style of play uh, and, you know, kind of those politically correct things that he said in the past. If I was his PR manager, I would actually say this, Kevin, like be honest to a fault you know, remind people like, yes, I might be on the best team, but guess what? I hit a three-pointer in LeBron's eye to win a title. I did that. (laughs) Nobody else did that. And I would even go one step further. If I was Kevin Durant and his people, I would be making, you know, very outlandish claims like I'm the best basketball player in the world right now. I've won two finals MVPs. I've won two titles. What are you guys going to do about it? You could hate me or you could respect what I'm doing on the court because, Look, I think the only way to sort of change this narrative a little bit is to get Kevin away from this perception that he's mincing words or he's hiding behind anonymous accounts or he's not really telling the whole story or, you know, he's saying one thing and doing another. And I think the easiest way to sort of overcome that for him right now at this point would be like max alpha mentality because deep down, that's who Kevin is. Kevin thinks he's the best player in the world. That's why he's mm-hmm. so good. Throughout all of this criticism, he's continued to improve his game. Uh, he's continued to close the gap with LeBron James. Now, me personally, I, I still believe LeBron is number one and KD's two. I but agree. I think if if you really gave that truth serum to KD, that's what he would believe, that he's better than LeBron at this point and kind of going forward – the NBA is going to be his league, and that he hasn't gotten nearly enough credit for what he has done on the basketball court. I think if Kevin packaged himself in that manner, he would at least be able to change the conversation and maybe be able to win back some of the people he's lost here over the last two years. Well, a few things to re- rebut what you're saying. Not rebut, but just to... But maybe we will argue. Uh, <laughs> don't you think if a if you gave that serum to... Every guy in the NBA, almost all of them would say the same thing. I am the best player in the league and people don't appreciate what I do. Especially, like, certainly you would get it from Derrick Rose, right? I mean, someone like that. Yeah, but d- doesn't KD have a real case, though? I mean, he's no worse than third, and I would argue he's second. And I think if you were a true KD believer, you could make a case based on the last two years when you look at his defensive impact, when you look at his all-around play, when you look at Golden State's record with him on the court – all the advanced stats, like his resume is really, really strong. He carried the USA to gold in 2016. He was easily their best player there. Uh, he's got a case. I'm not the one to make it, but if he wanted to make it, he could make it a lot better than, say, you know, the seventh guy on the Chicago Bulls. So, yes, he's self-confident, <laughs> but deep down he realizes that he has no chance against LeBron. What <laughs> makes KD special and what makes Steph Curry special, frankly, too, is 
they are not afraid of LeBron. You know, they right. respect him. They revere him. But they also feel like, you know, put, put us on the same court together. I'm going to be the best player. And I think, uh, you know, this is more of a rhetorical argument, you know, in terms of like Katie's brand management as it is like a fact by fact argument. Uh, sure. But I just don't see any other way out for him. No, no. I mean, you know, that's fine. I, I would I would probably agree with you. I think I might have. Actually, it's hard. to. It was really almost impossible to argue against KD being the second best player in the league. But the thing I was going to say about it is if he comes out and he just totally owns it and he just goes really cocky and like, I'm the second best player in the league or the best player in the league, rather. And like, you think people hate him now, man. They are going to hate, hate, hate him. Like, it's, I, I, I understand like wanting to own it. And at this point, I don't really think he has much choice. But boy, if he wants to, I mean, listen. People hated Kobe, and he got all the headlines, and he, you know, he did his thing. So maybe KD should just like come out and say I'm the best player, and, and just sort of own it. But you might be right. Maybe he should be more vocal. I I don't see a lot of other alternatives though. Like he's been, he's tried being quiet. That really hasn't worked. You know, he mumbled his way through the entire playoffs, and mm-hmm. you know that didn't win him anybody back. Um, the critics are so dug in that his only other option is to leave uh, Golden State. But I think from a long-term perspective, that would be really foolish. I think the noise around trying to break up the Warriors is so loud because they can be dominant for so long. Like, they can continue to own the league here indefinitely for the next three to four years in my eyes. I mean, they continue to reload sure. with players. Uh, their talent level is still, you know, in their prime or early prime. Katie is going to be the best basketball player in the world here within the next two years. Uh, you know, LeBron is going to continue to slip a little bit. And if you're anybody else, your only hope is that he, you can try to like guilt trip him out of Golden State and, and going somewhere else. And um, I think for him, his legacy and everything else will be best served uh, if he stays in Golden State, if he just kind of continues to fight through this, stack up as many accomplishments as possible, I think eventually history will smile on him. If he gets four or five rings, four or five finals MVP, is like that's going to overcome uh, the anger when we're talking about legacy and history debates You know, 50 years from now. Mm-hmm. Those accomplishments are going to stand tall. Uh, but I think the question for him is, like, if you do want to stay, if you want to continue to sort of you know, be in this – uh, super team that you've crafted for yourself, you've got to be able to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's the problem. He's struggling to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Right. And that's why I would totally agree that like, it seems like in a year or two when he, you know, when his contract runs up this end of this year and, and then maybe, maybe he'll stay around for another year and then leave the year after that. I really feel like he's going to want to, at some point, branch out and prove that he can do this on his own, prove that he didn't just have to join the Warriors to be that alpha dog, to be, to get those championships. I feel like, and you just mentioned it too, like guilt tripping in him into another team. I really feel like people or the smarter GMs around the league are probably going to key in on that and be like, listen, here's the way to get him to separate from that team. Let's get him to break mentally and just pull him towards the dark side. You know, I mean, maybe it's a silly thing. Maybe I'm thinking about this too much. Um, no, well, if I was a rival GM and I had my pitch meeting with Kevin Durant, the first thing I would do is I would show him the video of Bob Myers making a joke at his expense during the championship parade where he's basically like just playing on to the idea of like, 
you know, Steph gets preferred treatment over Durant and, you know, Durant didn't earn it or he wasn't like a warrior for life or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And I would just basically call Bob Myers a snake. I mean, that would be my strategy if I was a rival GM and say, look what you look what you did for this guy. You won him two rings, two finals MVPs, and this is how he repays you. That's how I would try to like drive the wedge. And who knows if that would work. But um, certainly I thought that was a strange moment, especially given how fierce the noise has been around Durant for Golden State's front office to kind of play into that publicly, I thought was, you know, a really, really big blunder that probably didn't get enough talk. I think honestly, mm-hmm. that was sort of the biggest mistake the franchise has made since uh, Joe Lacob did that interview with the New York Times Magazine where you know, he said they were light years light better years, than everyone yeah. else, and they were sort of bragging about how amazing their entire organization was, and, and they promptly lose the finals to Cleveland yep. in 2016. I mean, those are pretty much the only two mistakes Golden State has made since hiring Steve Kerr. And, you know, that says, you know, frankly, that's why they're so good, because they nail the big stuff and they nail the little stuff. Yeah. But I think if there is a weakness to their organization, it is their uh, – hubris you know it's like oh, yeah. they get ahead of themselves their arrogance and i think ultimately that could be their downfall here but i'm i'm not predicting it happening in the short term i think they've got a ways to go yeah i mean uh, listen we were going to talk about trades uh, <laughs> this is so interesting and compelling it's nobody else is going to have this conversation right um no I, I think you're absolutely right but isn't that really what ultimately undoes a lot of great people i i would love to give you some names but i can't think that quickly on my feet hubris is what brings a lot of people down um and you might be right i think that would definitely be a good way to attack that organization that that um that relationship and get kevin durant out of there anyway ben i'm wasting your time do you want to talk about the kevin love trade (laughs) or sorry signing signing yeah let's let's do it okay so he just signed a four-year, I mean, I'm just telling you what everyone knows. He just signed a four-year, $120 million deal. I didn't honestly see this coming, but did you see this coming? Was it a surprise to you at all? Um, well, I guess a little bit. I mean, I think my move, if I were them, would have been to just trade Kevin Love, if possible, this summer and just race for the bottom because I think that their roster at this point, you know, aside from – Kevin Love is just so weak uh, and so unproven. And the players who are potentially good, like Colin Sexton, are totally unproven. Mm-hmm. And the players who are veterans are proven to not be that good. So I would have just raced for the bottom and, and kind of done a very traditional, like, blow it up rebuild. Um, but their ownership group is very proud. I think they're very stubborn in that they want to be seen for. Uh, their team success rather than just being sort of like the the dock for LeBron James to go about his business, right? They don't want to just be viewed as the LeBron show. They want to be seen as a, a true organization. And unfortunately for them, they're basically the LeBron show. I mean, you know, throughout the last, you know, decade plus, they've only been good when they've had LeBron. They were terrible when they didn't have LeBron. And they made some, you know, pretty big blunders in terms of draft picks and signings, you know, along the way. So I think this signing scares me in terms of the number. I do worry it could be a little bit like the mellow deal where, uh, you know, when you sign it, you have the best of intentions. You're hoping to win, but there's not enough talent around your main guy. So he winds up getting frustrated and then you try to trade him, but he's a little bit too old to have much of a market and he's probably not good enough to be the you know a top three guy on a contender. So you know teams aren't quite uh, you know like you know beating down your door with big offers. 
I kind of worry that that's how it's going to play out for them. And then, you know, you're just sort of stuck in this purgatory for a few years where you try to figure out what you're doing. I think in the meantime, it's a huge win for Kevin Love. He's had so many injury issues yeah. that to get this kind of a contract is, you know, massive for him. I mean, it's the, the, the payday of his career. And then he can still be, you know, try to be a trade chip or be opportunistic in trying to find his next spot here over the next couple of years. And maybe something does come together. So I guess I like it more from Love's side than Cleveland's side. I understand their thought process in terms of like trying to retain an asset so that you don't wind up just being absolutely atrocious. I just think Cleveland's going to be worse next year than they think they will be. And I think that's going to be kind of a rude awakening. Oh, I totally agree with you. I don't. I don't think they're going to be sniffing the playoffs. I mean, listen for and like you. I think this is a great move for Kevin Love. Why would you not take this? Right. Um, the funny thing to me, and like in, in talking about this right now, is just that like I've I've listened to a bunch of podcasts, and a lot of people have talked about how this is a terrible move, or not a terrible move, but it's like something that Cleveland like had to do and everyone goes immediately to trading Kevin Love. Like he's, you know, maybe he can make himself an asset. Maybe he can be traded. Maybe they can move him. But nobody, nobody talks about how Kevin Love is going to have a resurgence. I mean, could possibly have a resurgence and like really take this team probably possibly to the playoffs because it's a really weak East. I mean, people have mentioned it, right? But I don't think anyone thinks that it's really a viable or a realistic uh, outcome for this team this year, but we don't know. I mean, maybe. Can I I say one thing on that though? Like in the Eastern conference, I think this idea of like, Hey, let's try to be the eighth seed in the Eastern conference is so worthless. I mean, you you probably know, (laughs) I I believe I'm a Western conference supremacist. Like the West is the show. Yes. The East is triple a, but when you look at these teams who are in those seventh and eighth seeds in the Eastern conference, does it really matter? I mean, if you win 30, 39 games instead of 34, like when the Charlotte Hornets were like the seventh or the eighth seed or, or even maybe the sixth seed one year, did that matter? Uh, was it really that much different than being the 12th seed in the East? Like, if you don't have a chance to really win a playoff series and compete, you know, being the you know the seventh or eighth seed in the weaker conference, there is nothing except for like kind of you know patting your own head and trying to like you know sell your season ticket holders on like some <laughs> level of success. What's the other benefit of that? If you're just going to get wiped out by Boston, Toronto, Philly, or whoever else is one of those top seeds. Is that really like an accomplishment? Is that something you should even really be trying for? I mean, to me, it's just not much of a reward, you know? No, of course. I absolutely agree with you. Listen, as a, as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, dealing with so many years of just middling, like literally getting to the eighth seed and then being knocked out in four games in the first round, it's it's maddening. It's like, it's the worst thing. It's It's better to not make the playoffs. I totally agree with you. But at the same time, the franchise at least can say, hey, we got to the playoffs. The fans can maybe take something from that and say, we got to the playoffs. Like, it wasn't it wasn't just about LeBron. Like, we still have some players here. I don't think it's going to happen. But, I mean, tell me if I'm, if I'm just being a cynic. Tell me if I'm just being cynical. But, like, how much of them signing Kevin Love do you think is really just about keeping fans in the seats and about keeping that revenue coming in and keeping them just on the edge of the playoffs to have something to talk about? I don't, is, that, is that too cynical of me? Am I just thinking about this in, like, a... In a way that, like, it doesn't really, like, I feel like the owners don't really care or something. I don't know. Explain it to me. I think business and pride are their major motivating factors for this deal. And I don't know where you draw the line between those two, like Mm -hmm. what counts as business or what just counts as pride. 
but I think they're interrelated, and I think that's why you make this move if you're them. And you're just trying to be good. You're trying to be respectable. You're trying to sort of like honor your fan base by not, you know, completely tearing it down and giving them a worthless product, you know, for the entire season. And to hopefully, you know, like keep some, you know, pride and some togetherness with your fan base and ultimately keep those people as, you know, season ticket holders, you know, going forward and, and television viewers going forward. Um, so I don't know if parsing between those two factors is really that important in this discussion. I mean, I think that's why they did it, you know, pride yeah. and then, you know, trying to salvage, you know, whatever they can from their business situation. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, and then maybe there, maybe there's the chance that like Colin Sexton is actually, he comes in as a rookie and he outperforms expectations and he and Kevin Love form a really nice two man combination that, that. Uh, it could be it could be the start of something new. It could be the start of uh, a really you know like the rebuild could be happening now. And then you have Kevin Log- Love locked up for four years. Maybe that actually turns into sort of a valuable piece to keep around while you start bringing in some new young talent. I mean, I think they only have like four players signed past the next two years, right? After twenty twenty, it's going to be Kevin Love. It's going to be. Uh, Colin Sexton, I think Zizic, and and they're going to sign. Um, uh, the tall guy who came from LA. Oh boy. Uh, Larry uh, Nance. Thank you. Larry Nance. That's the guy. Yeah. So they're going to sign him and you know, maybe that's, maybe that's something to move forward with. Maybe Kevin Love actually will regain some of his old form that he had when he was in Minnesota and maybe they can use him as a building block. I mean, it doesn't have to be, they're just doing this to keep fans in the seats or they're use they're going to use him for a trade package at some point. It could be that maybe really, they still think there's something there. And he hasn't been the number one option on a team since he was in Minnesota, or if ever. And I think that that scorer still lies there. I think that his rebounding potential is still there. Um, obviously, he's not a great defender. So you're going to have to put some other guys around him if they ever really want to contend. But I think the thing here is, too, is that like he's going to be 30. And so the, the window is short. But, I mean, it's possible, I guess, that they could keep him for the length of that deal. Well, I think, first of all, the game has changed a lot. The style of play and what works and what's best practices since Kevin Love was putting up those huge numbers in Minnesota. I think, to a certain degree, what he was doing in Minnesota was a little bit of empty numbers. Now, that's not to take away from his effort level, which was excellent, and you know what he was doing, his consistency night in and night out. I remember writing a piece, I think, in like 2013, calling him like the most valiant player because <laughs> here he was playing for this just awful team and, and just really laying it all on the line every single night, uh, sometimes winning, sometimes you know losing badly. Uh, so I'm not going to get caught up in this idea that he's going to be like a top 10 guy again and he's going to have these huge numbers and that's going to be enough to carry them. I think that's really overstating his impact as a number one player. Uh, I guess I'm just skeptical there. I think in terms of the pairing with Colin Sexton, what you're kind of describing, like if it would work, was similar to what the Blazers did when they drafted Damian Lillard uh, to pair with LaMarcus Aldridge. So you have the veteran power forward, you've got the you know rookie or the young point guard, and they try to like transition and make it work together. But what you saw in Portland was there was a little bit of a generational clash, even though Lillard had been a four-year college player and even though he was like a rookie of the year candidate uh, coming right back, you know, basically like coming right in ready to go. And that's not Colin Sexton. I mean, to me, he's a couple years away from really being like an impact type player as a point guard. So at that point is Love's window as a number one option 
already close. You know, I, I just think that right. there's too wide of a gap between their ages to really kind of, you know, pitch these guys as a true kind of like a foundational building block. And that's why I think it's more likely that Love winds up getting traded to somebody, you know, at some point during this contract. I mean, you're going to try it. You know, you hope that Sexton can come along faster than most people expect. Uh, but you do need to be realistic. I mean, it's so rare that rookie point guards, uh, you know, especially young ones, come in and have a big impact. You know, look at Lonzo last year, all the right. hype, and, you know, he really just wasn't able to deliver. You know, Simmons is the exception, but, of course, he took a redshirt year. Uh, it's just really, really tough at that spot. You know, Donovan Mitchell might be, you know, the the best recent example of a lead guard having a big impact as a rookie. But again, he's a couple years older as well because of what he did in college. So to me, I, I'm selling Cavaliers stock on the court, basically all of it. And I'm I'm ready for a Kevin Love trade, even if it takes a while to play out. Fair. Okay. That's that. I, you, you summed it up greatly. Greatly. Great. You summed it up great. <laughs> anyway, let's listen. That's enough of Kevin Love. Um, I wish him all the best. Uh, let's talk about Carmelo Anthony just a little bit. So he got traded from OKC to Atlanta. They got Dennis Schroeder back, and I think they sent out a pick that's top 20 or top 14 protected, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so this was obviously a, a salary dump for OKC. They were trying to get rid of him anyways. They were lucky to find, I think, another team who was willing to take that salary on. It doesn't seem at first like Atlanta was really getting anything out of this because they're just cutting him right but what they are doing is getting off of Dennis Schroeder's contract which I guess it was four years for another another three years or maybe 60 million or something of this sort um what are your thoughts about this trade how do you feel about about let's talk about OKC first let's talk about how do you feel about OKC getting Dennis Schroeder do you think that that pairing with Russell Westbrook and and Dennis Schroeder can actually work do you think that can coexist because I'm of the mind that if there's any guy in the NBA that might be able to succeed in the backcourt with Russell Westbrook, it might be Dennis Schroeder. You have to, I think you have to have like some sort of, and listen, I don't know the guy personally. I've never met him, never talked to him. I hear he's got a wonderful accent um, and lovely hair, but I think you have to have some sort of like a little bit of like just arrogance in order to survive next to Russell Westbrook, right? Do you think that this could possibly work? Well, I think Atlanta actually accomplished two things. So one, they get rid of his future money, like you mentioned. But I think, two, they also prevent the possibility of a fist fight during practice between <laughs> Schroeder and Trey Young. And I think we should not we should not like understate that. I mean, you're Wait clearing the decks on, here. Hold on, hold on. You think that Trey Young would actually throw, throw hands? No, but I, I, Trey Young is going to pull up from 30 feet. And guys like oh, Schroeder, okay. who want to have the ball and want to be the number one guy, are not going to be cool with that. And so... You know, I'm using a little bit of hyperbole here, but I think I the main hyperbole. benefit uh, of the of the Hawks side here is to just clear the decks completely for Trey Young and say, hey, look, man, it's your team. You can take whatever shots you want. We're going to try to put you in a position to succeed. Don't worry about, you know, fighting for the, you know, control of the offense or touches or being the man or anything else with a guy like Schroeder, who's a really stubborn competitor, who's very chippy and likes to get into it with people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just your show. So I think that's why you do it if you're Atlanta. Uh, in terms of the fit with Westbrook, um, I think I'm not as interested in how he plays with Westbrook as uh, his impact in the minutes when Westbrook is off the court because Oklahoma City has just been basically atrocious for the last two years since Durant left. 
when Westbrook is out of the game. And so that winds up putting coach Billy Donovan in a position where like he has to take a choice. Do I run Westbrook into the ground, turn everything over to him, let him play 40 plus minutes, let him take 35 shots sometimes in playoff games and just basically turn our entire team into a gimmick and just be at Westbrook's whim? Or do I take him out and then close my eyes and pray that we don't blow a 10-point lead in 90 seconds and I have to take a timeout, right? I mean, that's sort of been the story for the Thunder here the last two years. Schroeder will be overqualified as a backup. I don't love him as a starting point guard, but if you play him in that backup role, uh, he will be overqualified. He will be able to really you know, bring a lot to the table. And that should allow Westbrook to play slightly fewer minutes. It should also give him more confidence in the second unit. You know, hopefully he'll be able to kind of get some uh, stuff offensively out of a guy like Nerlens Noel. Yeah. And so I think there's some real possibilities there. So I loved it from Oklahoma City's perspective. Look, getting rid of Carmelo is addition by subtraction. He was horrible for them last year. Yes. And no matter what he says about how you know, he's not ready to be a bench guy or whatever else, like he was their worst player on their team during the playoffs. I mean, they were just disastrous when he was on the court. And they were much better when he was off the court. And so from that standpoint, you know, looking ahead, I think Oklahoma City has vaulted themselves up here, uh, you know, based on this summer. You know, I think they're going to have a much clearer role definition for a guy like Paul George, especially offensively. He's going to get more touches and shots. Everybody's going to be more comfortable. Melo's ego will be out of the way. And this should be a team that can, you know, try to aspire to being in the Western Conference Finals. Now, will that happen? I'm not sure. I still like Golden State and Houston an awful lot. But I think Oklahoma City is positioned much better next season than, than they were last season. I totally agree with everything you said. I'm actually like, I I think at this point, because I'm so uh, positive about what Oklahoma City did this offseason, which is really, it's, you know, it's a credit to the GM. Um, and I, I think they made some really excellent moves by adding Nerlens Noel, who I'm a huge fan of, and it shouldn't surprise you because I'm a Sixers guy. Um I th- and and by getting Dennis Schroeder, I think they and listen, getting uh, oh my God, what's his name, back that was injured. Um, uh, Robertson. Ben, thank you, Robertson. I'm the worst at names. I'm sorry. I may have. I should have warned you about this before you came on the podcast. I can't remember anybody's name. Um, I'm surprised I remembered yours. But anyway, by getting those guys, like it's going to be a really strong defensive team. And you're going to be able to, like, stop the other guy. You're going to be able to stop your opponent on most nights from scoring, unless it's the Warriors, right? Um, and just, I think, and you're absolutely right with having Schroeder as a secondary ball handler coming off the bench. I mean, I think him being on the court with Westbrook at times will allow Westbrook to operate a little bit off the ball. Uh, and and I know that they want to move quicker on on offense, and they want to, they want to be up and down the court. They want to have a lot of motion and a lot of like just running at the rim. And I think that's a, you know, having those two guys, Schroeder's really athletic. I mean, he can drive to the rim. I think it's a good combination. I'm really high on what they've done. And I honestly think that like you touched on Carmelo Anthony as addition by subtraction, which is absolutely correct. I'm thinking the same thing when he goes to Houston, which he's ultimately going to sign with, it's going to be the other way around. I don't think like I was, I underestimated Houston last year, as I think most people did. I didn't think they were going to finish as strongly as, as they'd finished. I didn't think they were going to be number one in the West because that just seemed like a stretch. I wasn't sure if the Chris Paul and, and James Harden were going to be able to coexist on the same team. They way outperformed expectations. They were amazing. Having Trevor Ariza there and Luke Mbamute was huge for them, but they lost both of those guys 
And now they're going to add Carmelo Anthony, who you just mentioned was the worst player on Oklahoma City's team during the playoffs last year. I just don't know why they're going to sign him or what they think. I mean, I get why they're going to sign him because he's going to give you that offensive punch. But really, at this point, I feel like Carmelo is probably uh, the, the idea of Carmelo is better than Carmelo Anthony is at this point. And I think adding him to that Houston team, when you take away... Trevor Ariza, and you take away Luke Mbambute, and you add Carmelo Anthony, you're giving away a whole lot of defense and adding not a whole lot of offense. So I'm curious to see what you think about how the Rockets might shape out this year. I mean, I think it's you know pretty safe to bet that they're going to regress. I mean, you hit on a lot of the themes. They, they lose some guys who were major minute, kind of dirty work type players for them. That's going to change their lineups a little bit. And then with Mello, like I think you do it because he's on a minimum and you're not like married to him. Like if it just absolutely doesn't work out, you can always just cut him. Uh, he does play, you know, a position where they've got like a hole in the rotation. He should benefit from, you know, catch and shoot opportunities set up by Harden and, and uh, Chris Paul. But I think he's going to have a really hard time transitioning there just mentally because he still thinks he's a star. He still thinks he's a mm-hmm. superstar. And he's just not. And he's going to have to do an awful lot of watching guys like Chris Paul and James Harden just pound the rock, pound the rock, pound the rock. And he's going to get jealous. He's going to want to do that. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to just sort of mentally swallow that. I think if you're Houston, you want to be active looking for other options at that position kind of going forward, whether it's buyout guys or trades. Uh, You know, you really want to be aggressive in trying to improve your roster because at this point, they have nobody to throw at Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant, you know, wound up really being a key in that Western Conference final series. I know he took a lot of, uh, you know, criticism for maybe a little bit too much ball stopping and everything else, but his isolation scoring just murdered them. And now they lost, you know, two of their best, you know, one on one defenders at that spot in Ariza and Ba Mute. And, you know, Carmelo has no chance. Like he's just going to get absolutely picked to death in that series. So, you know, I think kind of going forward, their roster can't be done you know they need to make some other additions but it'll probably have to come at the deadline or or during the buyout season like I mentioned I just think it's such an obvious glaring hole and they're so consumed with trying to match up with Golden State that some future you know you know changes are going to have to come there and it might be at the expense of some of their future too right like they might have to give up some future picks or it's it's like it's at some point you have to decide how much of your team you want to you want to offer up in order to contend for a year or two but i mean they've been you're absolutely right they've been very vocal about like they're obsessed with the warriors didn't didn't daryl morey come out and say that or someone said that on the rockets last year um and it just makes you wonder the other thing is like we've saw carmelo anthony and and d'antoni in a system before in new york and that did not go well like so i see all these red flags for adding Carmelo, I just don't get why they're going to do it. We know they're going to do it. I just it seems a little counterintuitive to me, especially from Daryl Morey, a guy who's like analytics based and a guy who's like he knows the ins and outs of everything in the league. I, I, you got to know, like you got to think that he knows. There's you're losing a lot by by adding Carmelo. Can you think of any positives that they're gaining by getting him? No, I mean, like I said, he can be a floor spacing shooter. You know, he can be a guy who maybe does a little bit more offensively, you know, whenever Harden's off the court. He's got the relationship with, uh, you know, Chris Paul. But no, I mean, he's a minus player at this point. He's not going to be able to defend, you know, multiple positions like they need. 
uh, you know, personally, I would not do it, but I could see why they're going to try to talk themselves into it. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I said, I I don't view this as a long-term solution. I think looking ahead, they're going to have to make another move. Okay, fair enough. Um, You want to talk about Kawhi real quick? I know you're a big Kawhi fan, or at least I suspect you're a big Kawhi fan. (laughs) Let's Um, do it. All right. So Kawhi obviously got traded to the to the um, the Raptors this a couple of days ago. Like what two weeks ago now? I have no idea what what time is it? Where am I? Um, he got traded to the Raptors and they sent Demar Derozan to the uh, San Antonio Spurs. So give me your thoughts. I've heard your I've heard your podcast about it, but tell my listeners how you feel because I don't you know I don't know who actually listens to what. Yeah, I mean I think. For Kawhi, he needs a, a fresh start. I mean, the the baggage was so deep and so thick there in uh, San Antonio. He didn't seem willing at all to try to repair it. And if he, if you're not kind of like mentally checked into that environment, you know, you might as well move. In terms of Toronto, I like the fit. I mean, I love the gamble for the Raptors because to me, like when the season ended, when they bomb out of the playoffs, like I was ready to trade DeRozan for basically anything. Just like get off his contract number you know, ditch his baggage of kind of falling short in the playoffs. I know he's very popular up there, but they clearly needed to kind of, uh, you know, really execute a major roster change, if not overhaul. And I thought the first step for that would have been just, you know, parting with DeRozan however you could. And Masai went from dumping a DeRozan contract to getting, you know, potentially a top five player for DeRozan, where even if Kawhi, like worst case scenario, he doesn't pull himself together, he doesn't play next year. You know, he's still at that point an expiring contract, and now you don't have to pay DeRozan for multiple more years, and you can sort of retool on the fly. So best case, you're going to make the finals with Kawhi being an MVP candidate. Worst case, you don't have to worry about trying to trade uh, DeRozan, you know, down the road, and you kind of have a fresh start next summer. I mean, to me, that sounds fantastic. He didn't part with any of his major young assets. I mean, I like Pirtle. I don't love him. And certainly, like Siakam and, and Anunobi are going to be more helpful in the playoffs, I think, than than Pirtle will be. So I think that was really nice trade work by Masai. In terms of San Antonio, I mean, they have to really look in the mirror and say, what went wrong here? Could they have done anything differently? Was there any way that this situation could have been avoided? And we're not going to be able to know the answer to that as outsiders. But I do suspect that they will have a rallying effect next season where because the Kawhi drama isn't hanging over them, they will play more freely, more mm-hmm. together, more loosely, more confidently with greater definition. And I think they're still going to be, you know, a factor in the Western conference. You know, that being said, I don't see them as a contender at this point. Like I don't love this pairing between DeRozan and Aldridge. And I think, you know, that's going to be, you know, hard to watch on some nights because the offensive flow is going to be choppy. Uh, but I think, you know, from their standpoint, they'd rather be good than terrible because their fan base expects them to win the title every single year. And because it's a one, you know, it's a one horse town down there where the Spurs are the entire game. And I think from that standpoint, uh, you can defend their move as, as pretty sound and pretty logical and sort of the best of, of making the best of a bad situation. Totally. And let's not forget, like, they, they have to be better, right? Because they added a player. Like, they didn't have Kawhi the entire... Sorry, I'm talking about San Antonio. They didn't have Kawhi the entire year. He played, what, nine games in total? So that's... Not only are they adding a player, they're, you know, they're adding DeMar DeRozan, who, by all accounts, is a very good basketball player. He's been an all-NBA player. He's been an all-star. And he has a very specific game, a very specific skill set, one might say, that kind of matches 
LaMarcus Aldridge is to a T almost sort of in this, in the way they shoot. It's, it's a game that I don't really enjoy. I don't find their skill set particularly attractive when watching basketball, but that's just me. I mean, but who knows? You, you don't see the fit and maybe you're right. It could be, it could be really ugly, but I still think that like by adding a guy of that caliber, even though in the West, he's not as good in the East. He, you know, he's perennial all-star in the West. He's not as good. You're still adding a player. You're still adding a really solid player to your team. So I see, I expected that they're going to get better. Like I just think necessarily. So they have to, um, the, the question for me is now they have him for another three years or another, how many is it? Three more years left on his contract or four? I can't remember when it kicks in. Yeah, um, I think it's three. Okay, so they have him for another three years. But, like, are they going to try and then flip that contract? Or, like, what what are they going to do? I don't, I don't know. Do they really see DeMar DeRozan being a, a foundational piece to that team moving forward? It's kind of it's kind of hard to see. I know we're all focused on, like, the right here and next season and what that's going to look like, some ugly-ass basketball. But, but like, going forward, I wonder what they do with that contract. And I know people have talked about Greg Popovich is probably retiring in the next four years, right? Like, maybe he doesn't just – he wants to keep it status quo and he wants to keep moving forward and still be a viable franchise in the West. Uh, I don't know what viable means in this context, but a steady franchise in the West and, like, and making the playoffs and, and still being respectable. But – I don't think that it does anything for their future or for for rebuilding this team. And it's bizarre. Like you talked about how, um, you know, they had this hanging over them last season. The whole thing that I think we're not talking about enough is the fact that the Spurs have been the pinnacle. I mean, they are the go-to example for the, the stability in the NBA that everyone has talked about for the last 20 years. And all of a sudden, the the bottom just fell out from under this team. And I can't help but wonder, like, why? What is going on there? Or is there something that you mentioned we're never going to know as outsiders? But it seems like changing of the guard might happen in more ways than one. Like, it's not just, like, the players coming and going. It might be, like, management and the coach and everything. It's just, like, it's it's time. And it's kind of sad to watch that happen because we've all depended on the Spurs for so many years. But I really think that this, like, is – a watershed moment and it's it's just it's again they're like the nba is so interesting you could take it from so many angles and there's always something to enjoy or, or something to gawk at you know um for toronto i agree i like it's it's great for them if 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 Kawhi doesn't play at all this season you're still getting rid of his contract next year and you lost Demar, but you really wanted to get out his contract anyway so i don't i think for them is an absolute win-win they didn't have to give up og and anobi they didn't have to give up siakam and those two guys are guys i think that they think are foundational pieces or at least you know really good uh starters for the next coming years so i think honestly i think they both did well in this trade uh but what do i know i'm not a gm yeah i mean i think also it's not a clean uh replacement you know between Kawhi and DeRozan for San Antonio because remember they also lose Danny Green they also lose Kyle Anderson so I think that's a lot of talent going out that direction I think also sort of from Toronto's perspective um, you know I think that this allows you uh, you know the the potential to match up a lot better especially defensively with Boston or or potentially even Golden State if you make the finals Mm -hmm. they can be super duper versatile in a way that we kind of wanted the Lakers to be like if they had gotten Kawhi and you could have 
you know, like let's say the dream scenario was Kawhi, Paul George, and LeBron. Like everything can be switched. Those guys are really long and athletic, and you know, that gets really interesting. I mean, now Toronto has some of those same attributes. I mean, I think my final thought here is is really about the Spurs. I mean, remember, don't go too far in writing off their culture, or writing off their front office or their coaching staff or whatever else, because Tim Duncan, to me, it's a top 10 all-time player. When he retired, they still won 60-plus games and went to the Western Conference Finals. You know, when Kobe retires, the Lakers fall apart. They're one of the worst organizations. I think they were the worst organization for a five-year period there. Uh, you know, during his, you know, fall off and, and the immediate aftermath of his retirement. When LeBron leaves Cleveland, they're atrocious. I mean, they're struggling to win 25 games without him. Uh, we can go right down the list of teams that have struggled to deal when su- superstars leave. I think the Kawhi thing says a lot about Kawhi, maybe more than it does about the Spurs, because they did handle that initial transition from Duncan's retirement far better than most organizations would. And I think they're still going to be respectable next year and into the future, even if Lamar and uh, Lamarcus, sorry, and Demar isn't the ideal sort of superstar pairing as your core. I still think they're going to be able to either make trades with those guys or just continue to flip the pieces so that they can continue to be very respectable here, you know, over the next five years. And I think that is the hallmark of a good good organ or good organization. You want to be in position to win titles when you've got A-list talent and to continue to compete when you don't. And that's sort of what they've done here really since Popovich took over, you know, almost 20 years ago. Yeah, good. really, really well, really well put. I agree with you totally. Everything I said, I take back. You're right. Uh, one last thing before I let you go. I was going to ask you about LeBron, but that's been talked about to death. Everybody knows about the LeBron thing. Tell me about Dwight Howard going to the Warriors, just or not the Warriors, sorry, the Wizards. Tell me about Dwight Howard going to the Wizards, because for me, like I wrote you in this outline that like, you know, part of being a fan of, of the NBA is like also having teams that you love to root against. And I love to root against the Wizards, partly because of their stupid name, partly because they're in the Eastern Conference and I have to. Um, what do you think is going to happen with Dwight Howard being on the Wizards? Do you think there's any chance of like that completely dysfunctional locker room getting less dysfunctional with him being there no of course not i mean we know what's (laughs) going to happen when you have dwight howard everything is going to blow up i mean everybody saw his press conference where he's like you know making his corny joke about the magic then la la land and on and on and on if you you go through every single no if you go through every (laughs) single one of those stops though you can see coaches and gms who got themselves fired either when he left or shortly after he left, whether it's Stan Van Gundy and Otis Smith, whether it's, you know, Mike D'Antoni and Mitch Kubchak, whether it's Kevin McHale and then J.B. Bickerstaff, the interim coach. You know, you go on to Atlanta. Budenholzer was out of there pretty quickly after the Mm -hmm. Dwight experience. You look at Charlotte, it's, uh, you know, Steve Clifford and Rich Cho. I mean, the track record is clear. You know, Dwight is the, the link between all those franchises. I think... You know, history is written here. We know what's going to happen in Washington. It's going to be explosive and not in a good way. And I am here for all of it. I cannot wait. Ben Golliver, thank you so much for gracing me with your presence and enlightening me about the NBA. Um, please plug your stuff and tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, check us out, si.com slash NBA. I'm on Twitter at Ben Golliver, G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. Instagram's Ben Doc Oliver, and of course it's the Open Floor Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere else. Uh, thanks so much for having me tonight. Yeah, of course. You're welcome on anytime. Um, talk soon. Sounds good. Talk later. 
Oh, there you go, everybody. Ben Golliver, thank you so much, Ben, for coming on the Super Flight. And uh, that's going to do it for me this week. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Oh,